Good morning, my name is Kyle Gatt and I am the pastor here. And you would think with a long weekend that uh, I would have had, you know, just going to chill out and watch a lot of movies. <laughs> Didn't do that and probably won't do that. Although there are football games to watch, right? I think I've heard their football games on. But I was think- thinking about movies and as it pertains to the topic today, and I thought of probably one of my favorite movies. I got a handful of them that, you know, when, you come, when you're flipping, you know, through TBS and TNT and they have movies on all the time, that when you're clicking through the channels, there's a couple that you stop and watch, right? No matter what they are, uh, there's certain movies that you, no matter where they are in the movie, you'll stop and watch those movies. And there, there's a handful of them out there for me. Two or three of them, my wife goes, oh my gosh, you're watching that again. But there are, this one, there's a lot of multiple scenes I love in this movie. It's the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I, I've, I've loved that movie. I like all, the, all of them, but, but ranked one through what will be up to six here shortly, I think, in the next couple of years. This will be number one. I don't care what the next one is. This one will be number one for me just because of the theme of it and all that. The, the idea behind that is Indiana Jones's father, Henry, played by Sean Connery, he, he's integral part of the story. In fact, it's, it's because of his obsession, his lifelong quest for the cup of Christ, the Holy Grail, not the Monty Python version, right? But the Holy, yeah, y'all got, some of y'all got that, all right? The cup of Christ, and he, he's made notes, he's researched all these things about that. This obsession got him into trouble, but it made for a great movie. Now, there are a lot of us that have pursuits that, that we go after, obsessions, however you want to call it. Have you thought about some of the ones that, that, that a lot of people have? You know, I have. I started thinking about pursuits that people have. They're very persistent in their pursuit of something. Like, there are mo- many of you in this room, many of you in this room are in pursuit of a dollar amount in your retirement plan, in your pension plan. I mean, I mean, you're, and I talked, I talked to a young guy last, last year and he was putting way, I mean, he's 25, what, 24, 25 years old and in his job. And when he told me how much percentage he was putting away, I went, oh my gosh, you are way ahead of the game. He's one of the few young people I've talked to that was way ahead of the game and what he was putting there. But a lot of us have that figure in mind of what we need in our retirement account. And, and we're, persistent in our pursuit of putting it in there, putting it in there so that we can retire at whatever age we've envisioned. And so, so I looked at my retirement account recently, and I'm projected to retire at 95. So I'm really excited about that, looking forward to the next 30 years. And, um, but but we, we, a lot of us are into that. A lot of us are into that. There are high schoolers in, in our church, in our community, that they are in pursuit of that high score on the SAT or, or ACT. Some of them are looking for that perfect score on the ACT. And, and a number of kids in this community have gotten that. That's been, been pretty cool to see. And now they stopped using it at some colleges. Is that correct? I thought, I that's not good. There are some that, that you look around all the high schools. They, there are some kids out there that are pursuing to be the top person in their class. They want to be the valedictorian. They want to be the top grade point average in their class. There are others that are starting out now. They're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, already thinking about, I'm going to pursue an athletic scholarship, already working toward that. 
They really are. And, and when I was in high school, it dawned on a bunch of us, it really at the beginning of high school, ninth, 10th, 11th grade year, it dawned on us, dawned on us that there was one person in our grade that had a pursuit that nobody else had. She was pursuing to have perfect attendance for all 12 years of school. Her name was Linda, and she got it. None of us did that. Everybody else thought she was nuts, but that's, you know, another story, all right? Um, some people we know that they're, they're, their whole pursuit is, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book one day, all right? Some, some maybe, maybe this fits some of you. Some of you have a, you're very persistent in your pursuit of having money in your checking account at the end of the month. I mean, anybody, anybody like that? All right, amen, right? I, I told you before that, that I've, I've called high school football, officiate high school football. I've done that since 2006. And, and, and seriously, probably since 2012, after my son graduated, probably that fall of 2012, my pursuit has been to call a final game. It was Super 6 for a while, now it's Super 7. So that's been my pursuit. All right? And whatever choice did you make, whatever you are persistently pursuing, Whatever you're persistently pursuing, if, if, if you're really serious about it, you will stay persistent. You will stay persistent with that. And this morning, really what I want to do is, is look at three, three people, three, three things in the New Testament, three, group, three, three, three people in the New Testament that, that I hope will encourage us to be people who persistently pursue God. That's, that's what I'll, if, if, if not make the decision to pursue God, maybe just up our game a little bit. All right. All three of these are in the New Testament. The first one is actually a group of people. The first one is actually a group of people. And we just come off the Christmas season. And in the Christmas season, we have that, the Christmas story, the wonderful Christmas story. These group of people show up in the Christmas story, although technically... When you look at their story, they really weren't at the birth of Jesus, okay? But Matthew puts them early in his gospel account of Jesus Christ, and so they just sort of get lumped in there. They, they make for a good addition to the story. They make for good theater. And, of course, we're talking about the Magi. We're talking about the Magi. And the Magi, that's the interpretation that... that it's supposed to be in the, most Bibles have it that way, but a lot of us go back to the carol that we sing every year, and we call them kings, okay? We call them kings. We three kings. And I think the reason they did three, three kings because somebody wrote a song called We Three Magi, and it didn't sound good, so they just changed the name. It didn't come off your tongue very good when you said We Three Magi, all right, so here's, here's part of the story. Matthew chapter 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, we know the rest of the story. Most of us are familiar. If nothing else, we've seen a movie that, that had... Gifts being brought in, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Or if you watch the, the play that went wrong, or not, not the play that went wrong, that was what Trey was in, uh, the best Christmas pageant ever, 
the best Christmas pageant ever, like they bring a ham, right? They bring a ham as one of the gifts, one of the funniest stories and uh, funny, funny parts of that book and, and or movie that came out a long time ago, long time ago. But they, these three gifts, we get three gifts, and of course that made somebody think that must be three people. That's where we get the three kings. But uh, those gifts, when we look at, look 2020 hindsight, is always better, right? We look back, we look back, and we go, wait a second, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, that gold, well, that's a gift for a king. And the frankincense, that's a gift for a priest. And myrrh, that's, that's, a, that's what you bury people with. And so it all makes sense of why these type of gifts were broken and then are, are brought to Jesus. It also gives you an indication that maybe that's how um, they survived, that, that Joseph and Mary survived because they had these very expensive gifts that they could have survived until the time they had lived in Egypt and then came back uh, to hang around in Nazareth. What we really don't know, we, we really don't know who, how many people came. We don't have any idea of the number of magi that came on this trip. But we do know they came from the east, and we do know that they looked up they were watching the stars, so theoretically they could be astronomers, okay? We got this idea when, um, when King Herod is killing two-year-olds that there's a good chance that they traveled two years. They were very persistent. They traveled two years to see Jesus. And what we sort of, all the scholars and everybody that looks around at these guys, we understand and believe that these are not just average people. Okay, average people don't bring the type of gifts that they brought. Average people don't watch the stars to get information to see changes. These were smart people. These were smart people. And here's the thought that I want you to to think about. It's not what we know, it's who we seek. It's not what we know, it's who we seek. We can be the smartest person in our group of friends, but... If we're pursuing what amounts to be fool's gold, then really what have we got? What have we got? We can attain the PhD. We could have the highest GPA. We could, we could be the undefeated champion on Jeopardy. But if what we are seeking and what we are persistently pursuing isn't God, then really what do we have? Really, what good is it? probably just wasting our life. You know, Forrest Gump, uh, I know Forrest Gump, y'all heard of him? He sort of put Alabama on the map for a while, didn't he? Everybody remembers Forrest Gump, remembers Alabama. Um, Anyway, Forrest uh, Forrest came back into vogue recently. Did y'all catch this, this meme that was out there? It was, and just like that, it's okay to pray on a football field, right? You catch, you catch that meme that came out? But my, my favorite line, truthfully, in that Forrest Gump movie is when uh, he's standing at the bottom of the stairs. Jenny's up there. And he said, I may not be a smart man, but I know what love is. And so I thought, if I, if I had enough time and I thought about it a little bit, and was willing to waste a lot of time, I'd make my own meme. And my meme would be, I may not be a smart man, but I know we need to seek God. 
right? That's, that's sort of the meme that I would have going around today because we know all other pursuits are temporary. They're temporary. And really, so many of our pursuits, we can attain. We can actually get to that magical number so we can retire. We can actually get a perfect score on the ACT. We can get that scholarship. We can, we can attain things like that. But when we attain them, then what? When we attain them, then what? July comes around. Uh, the first Monday after July 4th, football officials start meeting. I can go start going to meetings. I can do a state camp. I can do a district camp. And, and I, can, I can concentrate and work hard every Friday night in the fall. Except one, I promise. My wife, I'd always take off one Friday night in the fall. Anyway, so I walk every Friday night. At some point, there's really high chance that I will call the last games two high school play teams will be playing. But then what? Then what? What, what, what do we gain just by having knowledge? If, if, if we just want to have a whole bunch of knowledge, we want to know everything there is to know about everything, what does that give us besides the ability to win a game at a restaurant trivia contest, Right? Where really was that, was that give us? It's not how much you know, it's who you seek. It's not how much you know, it's who you seek. You can learn everything there is to know about a subject. You can, you can learn every verse of the Bible if you want to. But if you're not seeking God, really, what have you got? There's another New Testament character that I think gives us a mirror to look at ourselves. It's found in Luke chapter 19. It's a short story. It's about Zacchaeus. Uh, nobody got that. That's right. All right. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man seek, came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus wasn't popular. I don't know if you picked up on the crowd muttering. Zacchaeus was not a popular man. They called him a sinner. And it wasn't like, you know, we're in conversation with people every now and then we'll go, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all a sinner, right? We've all done that before. We, we sort of lumped ourselves in the fact that we're not perfect. We don't, we don't do things exactly correct all the time, and we, we disobey God. We go against the Bible some, but we go, I'm, you and me in the same boat. That's not how the people saw Zacchaeus. How they saw Zacchaeus was this way. It was more judgy, accusatory. He is a sinner. He is a real sinner. 
And not like us. He's on a whole different level. I would never do the things that he's done. I would never be as bad as him. That's how Zacchaeus was viewed. What was his sins? Actually, two things wrapped up into one. First of all, he collaborated with the Romans. He was working with the Romans. Romans occupied Jerusalem. They were sort of in charge of everything. Israelites didn't really like it a lot, but they put up with it. They got peace. They had peace there. But Zacchaeus was with them. So he wasn't really, he was an Israelite, but he really wasn't part of the Israelites. They didn't like him at all because he's, first of all, he was a friend of the Romans, for lack of a better word. And he was taking taxes. And not only was he taking the taxes that Rome told him to take, he was taking extra because he had to make a living. But he really made a living. He took a whole lot out of their pockets. So really the idea of taxation didn't begin with the IRS. Did y'all believe, y'all know that, right? It began all the way back in the Bible and they were taxing, taxing people more than what they should have. Amen? Amen. Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm already thinking about my April check I'm getting ready to write, right? So I've already, already got that on my mind. But he had to collect something from the Romans, but... To make a living, he took more, but he took more than he needed to. In fact, he took so much, he was considered wealthy. He was considered living well beyond the means of the average Israelite in Jerusalem. That's why he was despised, because he just didn't take a little bit to live on to be an average system above average, way above average living conditions. He had everything he wanted, had everything, had everything he needed, Right? He lived better than anybody else. So here's what I want you to remember about Zach's story. It's not what we've done, it's who we seek. It's not what we've done, it's who we seek. See, Zacchaeus knew who he was. He He knew what he had done, but he knew who he needed to pursue. He knew that. He had no friends. You know that? Yeah, literally, his other friends were tax collectors. That's all he had, friends. The Romans didn't like him because they were just a business partner. The Israelites didn't want to hang around him because he was jobbing them for every much he could. And, and, but he, he had no friends, but he also had everything he wanted. He could buy anything he wanted. But apparently that wasn't enough. He knew something was missing. He knew something was missing in his life, and... And just because of his past, it didn't hold him back. Just because of things he had done to hurt people, to hurt his friends and hurt his family, that did not stop him from seeking Jesus. You've hurt people. You've hurt family. You and I have cheated people. You and I have cheated family. You and I have turned our backs on God. So many days and so many weeks of our lives, we have done what we wanted to do because we could. But all that we've done really hadn't brought joy and hadn't really brought peace in our lives. It's not what we've done. It's who we seek. It's who we seek. 
There's the last character I want to look at, last figure in the New Testament. His name is Nicodemus. And I, I could read you that story from John chapter 3, but we're going, to, we're going to listen more than anything. We're going to listen to the interchange between Nicodemus and Jesus from the, the series Chosen. And what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that is what must be reborn to new life. Nicodemus is at the top socially in his community. He, he, was, he was, had been sifted. He had been tested. He had been voted on. He had been scrutinized. He had been PhD. He had a resume as long as your arm. He was a, a, an aged man, at least very mature. He's powerful. He's He's knowledgeable. He's extraordinary. And he's, he's a man living in this culture that's devoted to God. And in Nicodemus's day, if you came upon an Israelite and said, do you think Nicodemus is going to heaven? Every one of them would have said, well, if Nicodemus doesn't make it to heaven, then nobody's going to make it to heaven. That's the kind of guy he was. He was a Pharisee. He was in the Sanhedrin. He, he obeyed the law to the letter. And when you, when you looked at him, when an average person looked at him, they would find no blame in him at all. If you translate that to, the, to our world today, it'd be like that, that person that you would drive miles and, and hours from to go here speak. He'd be that type of person. Or he, he would be the person that, that whenever they wrote, a, wrote something down, you would want to buy the book, you would want to read the article, right? Almost as pop going to buy the book spare. Be that type of popular, okay? If Nick was, was somewhere uh, worshiping, you'd want to go where Nick was. And it'd be like the guy that, uh, the, the pastor that's been at 35 years at First Church where everybody knows him, everybody loves him, integrity, character, all above board. That's who Nicodemus was. And yet Nicodemus seeks out Jesus. Nicodemus seeks out Jesus. It doesn't make sense because Nick had done the right thing his whole life. He had done the right thing. Everybody knew he did the right thing. Everybody could see him doing the right thing. And yet he's seeking out Jesus. It so, sort of reminds me of, of our history. In our history, a guy named John Wesley in, in the 1700s was born, raised in the Church of England, was ordained deacon in 1725. 1725, he had, was ordained deacon. But he already committed his life to a life of ministry before that, but officially 1725. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism, the founder of Wesleyan Anything related to Methodist or Wesleyan, that's John Wesley. We've got 80 denominations that count John Wesley as the beginning of their existence. Okay, 80 denominations. 
1725, started, quote-unquote, officially in the ministry. But in 1738, May 24th of 1738, John Wesley wrote. He was at Aldersgate Street. He said, today I felt my heart strangely warmed. And we think and we go, wait a second. What do you mean? And he explains. It was that day, May 24th, 1738, that he felt the assurance of his salvation. He, he felt, felt Jesus for real in his life, that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was Lord of his life. For 13 years, John Wesley had been doing the right thing. But it took this experience to him, for him to understand, now I get it. Now I get it. See, there, there's something more about a relationship than just simply doing the right thing. When we look at Nick, we're reminded it's not what we do right, it's who we seek. It's not what we do right, it's who we seek. And, and Nicodemus is actually a more representative, representative of church people than anybody else. But notice, we don't... We don't just hear of him in John chapter 3. Remember, John chapter 3 is where this leads into For God So Loved the World. This is the passage Nicodemus right into For God So Loved the World that everybody loves and quotes. But that's not the only time we see Nick. John records in, in uh, chapter 7 that he appears before his buddies, the people that are the Pharisees with him on the Sanhedrin, and he's defending Jesus publicly. And then in John chapter 19, Jesus is killed. His body is hanging on the cross. He and Joseph Arimathea go and get the body so they can be buried properly. He risked a lot. Nicodemus risked a lot by speaking up to the Sanhedrin. He risked a lot by going for the body. He was persistent because it wasn't what he had been doing right his whole life. It was who he was seeking. Persistent pursuit. And in Nick, we see a mirror of so many church people. Maybe it's you. Maybe you see in Nick a mirror of you. Because you're here, you're you're watching online and and you've been doing your best, living your life, trying to do the right thing day after day. But are you seeking God? Are you seeking Jesus? It's not what we know. It's not what we've done. It's not what we've done right. It's who we seek.